Let us pray. Our most eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this evening for your love and your mercy. Thankful for this privilege of gathering together to study a portion of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will communicate to us so that we will hear clearly what you want us to hear this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. Still in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. The issue of lack of water for Israel and their responses to it. He reads, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the law commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water, uh, for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why do you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah, because of the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, the primary message of the major section of Exodus chapter 16, verse 1 through chapter 17, verse 7, that we have been considering is be careful about grumbling against your spiritual leaders. Since doing so is the same as grumbling against God. Now we had previously indicated that the present section of our study will be expounded based on four lessons. The first that we have considered is that God's leading does not mean you will not encounter difficulties. The second, derived from the responses of Israel and Moses, Two, the challenge of having no drinking water at Rephidim is this. Learn to take your complaint to the Lord and avoid blaming spiritual leaders for the difficulties you encounter. The third is that spiritual leaders may gently rebuke believers who Respond incorrectly to difficulties, but you should pray to the Lord to provide solution to the difficulties. The fourth is learn to claim the promises provided you, I mean the lost promises, provided you feel the implied conditions of the promises and stand by them until 
you get results from him. Now the fourth lesson is associated with the way the Lord answered Moses' prayer that involved two, uh, the commands of the Lord to Moses and his obedience to them. Now the instructions the Lord gave to Moses could be viewed either as consisting of three or four commands. The first command concerns being in a position of a leader or of the one leading the way, but there's also the implication that Moses will have to appear before the Israelites prior to taking the position of the leader in the required uh, movement that the Lord expects to occur uh, shortly from the time he spoke to Moses. Now the second uh, command is for Moses to select and bring with him some elders, although the number is not specified in a uh, passage. Now this second command of Moses choosing and bringing with him some elders of Israel uh, lead to the third command that we begin with this evening. The third command then concerns Moses' staff, as in the expression of Exodus 17 verse 5. Look at that, he says, and take your staff, or take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. Now this is the second time in this verse we encounter the word take. Now the word is really translated from a Hebrew word that means to take or to grasp or to seize. But it has other meanings. In, in East, you know, East first encounter, we indicated that it has a sense of to choose or to select and bring someone with another. That's the meaning there. Yeah? But then in this second encounter, it has a sense really of to take physically. That is, to get into one's hand. Get something into one's hand. Now the thing Moses was to take in his hand is described in the sentence of Exodus 17 verse 5. He said, the staff with which you struck the Nile. Now it is interesting that the Lord described Moses' staff with reference to the first miracle of the plague of turning water into blood. Now when the Lord first uh, commissioned Moses to go to deliver the Israelites from slavery, he informed him that the staff in his hand will be used to perform miracles according to Exodus chapter 4 verse 17. Exodus chapter 4 verse 17. It is, but take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Now, subsequently, Moses' staff was then described as God's staff. And look at that chapter 4 of Exodus, look at verse 20. He reads, So Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took 
the staff of God in his hand. Now it's called the staff of God. Now when Moses went to Pharaoh, the first miracle the Lord performed through him and Aaron involved Aaron's staff, not Moses, as we read in Exodus chapter 7, verse 10. Exodus chapter 7 verse 10. It is, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and they just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Now look at that Aaron's staff, not Moses. However, as we have indicated, the first plague then of turning water into blood, the Lord brought to the Egyptians involved Moses' own staff. As we read in that Exodus chapter 7, look at verse 20. Verse 20 reads, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile and all the water was changed into blood. Now, of course, it is not really Moses that performed the miracle that turned the water into blood. He was merely God's agent through whom he performed the miracle of turning water into blood as confirmed later, though, in the same passage or in the description given in the same chapter 7 of Exodus, look at verse 25. Verse 25 reads, Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Say, it is the Lord. The Adomosis struck his staff, but it is the Lord that did that. So anyway, at least three other times, the Lord performed miracles through Moses stretching out his staff. The miracle of the plague of hell the Lord brought on Egypt involved Moses stretching out his staff, as we read in Exodus chapter 9, verse 23. Exodus chapter 9, verse 23. He reads, When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hell, and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hell on the land of Egypt. Now the miracle of the plague of locusts in, uh, in Egypt involved Moses stretching out his staff, symbolically of course, over the land of Egypt. This we know from Exodus chapter 10 verse 13. Exodus chapter 10 verse 13. It is, so Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning the wind had brought the locusts. 
Now the miracle of dividing the Red Sea involved Moses raising his staff and stretching it, uh, it over uh, his hand, really stretching out his hand uh, as indicated in Exodus chapter 14, verse 16. Exodus chapter 14, verse 16. He reads, Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Now although it is not uh, directly uh, stated, but it is implied that when the Lord brought the plague of darkness on Egypt that Moses stretched out his staff since it was in his hand as we read in Exodus chapter 10, verse 22. Exodus Exodus chapter 10, verse 22 reads, So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. Of course, his staff was in his hand. So he stretched out uh, his staff. So then, here's the thing. With these several descriptions of miracles that involved Moses' staff, why then did the Lord describe Moses' staff as it relates to the miracle of turning uh, water into blood? As in the sentence that was studying in Exodus 7 verse 5 when he said, the staff with which you struck the Nile. And he struck, he used that stuff several times, as I've shown you by going through all these uh, passages. So why associated with the Nile? That's the issue. Now it is really to convey to Moses, firstly, that the Lord was about to perform a miracle through Moses since his staff is used for Several miracles that God performed. That's the first thing. So he, he anticipates something miraculous is going to take place. Secondly, it is to signal to Moses that the miracle of the Lord that will provide water for the Israelites will involve him striking an object as the Lord stated to him that we will consider later in in verse 6 of Exodus 17. Hence then, we contend that the Lord chose the description of Moses' staff in the sentence of Exodus 17, verse 5. The staff with which you struck the Nile because he wants Moses to get ready to strike a rock that will be the source of water to the Israelites. That's what he wanted to convey to him. He could have described that stuff in terms of any other of the other uh, miracles, but he did not. To simply to tell him, you're going to be striking something. And in this case, a rock. So anyhow, the third command of the Lord to Moses then involved him physically, taking hold of his staff that God initially told him is for performing miracles. 
Now we indicated that the instruction of the Lord to Moses could be viewed as consisting of three or four commands. Three or four commands. Now this is because of the expression that we have in verse 5 of Exodus 17 where it says, and go. Look at that word, and go. Now the Hebrew is such that the Hebrew expression so translated maybe translated either as a command or as a statement. You see, the, the, script, uh, the conjunction and is translated from a Hebrew particle that is often translated and in our English versions. However, the Hebrew particle has several other usages. In our passage, it may be translated and as is done in majority of our English versions, or it could be translated with the word now, now, to indicate probably that what is stated should take place about the same time that the other three commands are carried out uh, by Moses, or that a new aspect, or a new aspect of the current topic of what Moses had been instructed or asked to do is about to take place. Now, the New Century Version translated the uh, Hebrew particle with the word now, probably to indicate then that the time or a new topic of the current topic that he's dealing with is what is about to take place. The Hebrew particle, of course, may be translated with the word as. This is reflected in the revised edition of the New American Bible. Because they translated this way, as you go. That's the way they translated it, as you go. That means instead of and, they translated that word as. Anyway, the word go is translated from a Hebrew word that literally means to travel, to walk. When used of persons, as in the description of either God's judgment on the people of Judah or his universal judgment of people for sinning against him according to Zechariah, I mean Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 17. Zephaniah, where a Hebrew word halak is used as it concerns God's judgment. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 17 it is I will bring distress on the people and they will walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and the entrails like filth. That's God's judgment that's going to take place. Now the word also may mean to go, as in the instruction of the Lord to Joshua, as he was taking over the mantle of leadership from Moses, as recorded in Joshua chapter 1 verse 7. Now hold on to Joshua. I'll pick up about two more uh, passages in Joshua. 
Joshua chapter two, uh, chapter one, verse seven. This is he's about to take the mantle of leadership. So we read this is God's instruction to him: Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. That's a Hebrew word again, you go. Now the word may mean to depart, as it is used when the Israelite spies left the house of Rahab the prostitute, as stated in Joshua chapter 2 verse 21. Joshua chapter 2 verse 21. He reads, Agreed, she replied, Let it be as you say. Because they have given her, I say, as long as you do what we say, you will declare when we attack to destroy your people. He so, says, So she sent them away and they departed. That's a Hebrew word. Yes, strongly departed. And she tied a scarlet cord in the window. Now, figuratively, though, the word may mean to pass away or to die. To die. In phrase denoting or implying death, as the word is used by Joshua to indicate his approaching death in Joshua chapter 23, verse 14. Joshua chapter 23 verse 14. It reads, Now that I'm about to go the way of all the earth. See, to go the way of all the earth simply means that now I'm about to die. Again, this is one of those things that you see of matured believers. When they stay dead or they come close to death. So to say, they're thinking about the other people left behind. Depending on what the situation is, if they are fully aware, as Joshua was conscious that, yes, I'm nearing the end. I'm about to leave. And so that's why he's telling the people, now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. No fear of any kind for that believer who knows where he is going or where she is going. He says, you know with all your heart and so that not one of all the good promises of the Lord your God gave you has failed. In other words, they have seen how faithful God is. Not one promise that he made to them had not had failed to be fulfilled. He said, every promise has been fulfilled not one has failed. Now, the Hebrew word may also mean to behave or to conduct oneself. That is, to go about doing certain uh, actions in a regular, uh, more or less uh, consistent manner. So possibly, consisting of a life style or something that one does habitually. 
as in the instruction given to Israel to avoid the customs of the people of Canaan in Leviticus chapter 20 verse 23. God's people are usually surrounded by uh, pagans and the, the constant battle that God's people face is are we going to be drawn to the customs of pagans or not? Now apparently a whole lot of Christians haven't woken up to that including those who teach that there is so much of paganism around us and yet, not much people realize how deeply they are into the customs of the world or whatever nation where they are that are contrary to the scripture. But this is what the Lord tells Israel. You must not live according to the customs of the nations. I'm going to drive out before you. Because... They did all these things. I abhorred them. In other words, God detests certain customs that are contrary to his word. Now in our passage though of Exodus chapter 17 verse 5, the Hebrew word is used in the sense of to proceed or to go. Anyway, the Hebrew form of the verb we considered may be viewed then as a statement or a fact, or simply as a command. So if a person takes it as a statement of fact, then the instruction of the Lord to Moses will be seen then as consisting of three commands, as reflected in some English versions. But if though the Hebrew form is taken as a command, then the Lord's instruction to Moses consists of four commands. Now considering that we have uh, three clear instructions it is probably that despite the Hebrew form used that the Holy Spirit wants us to consider the last expression of Exodus 17 verse 5 when it says and go as a command as the NIV translated it. Now this being the case the law commands Moses to proceed after he has carried out the first three commands, he issued to him to go and carry out. Now the place Moses was to proceed is not directly stated, but it's implied in what the Lord said to him in Exodus 17 verse 6. Because of what he said in verse 6, the implied place Moses was to go was Sinai as we will note shortly. Now, be that there was a man, the fourth lesson that we are considering, again, is learn to claim the Lord's promises, provided you fulfill the implied conditions of the promises and stand by them until you get results from Him. That is something we have Similar promises in the scripture. All we say is learn to claim a whole lot of them. I'm going to uh, throw one or two this evening. Learn to claim them in whatever situation you, uh, 
so long as you've made the conditions attached to them. Now, anyway, we consider the first way, though, that uh, uh, involved four commands of the Lord to Moses. So, we focus our attention now on the second uh, thing that involves God's promises uh, to Moses. We've seen the commands. God responded to Moses' request in two ways. Command and promises. So, we've looked at the commands. Now, we look at the promises. Now, God's first promise to Moses is the assurance of his presence in a unique way. His presence in a unique way. As we read in the first sentence of Exodus 17 verse 6, we are starting. Look at what it says. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Now this promise... Is emphatic to indicate that it will certainly be fulfilled. God can never go back on his word if he makes a promise. Of course, you may wonder how we could really say that uh, this sentence, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, how is that emphatic? Since there is nothing in English that remotely suggests any kind of emphasis. However, the Hebrew helps us to be certain of the emphasis that is conveyed in the sentence that we read. Now, this is because the Hebrew of verse 11, I mean verse 6, begins with a Hebrew word, hine, that is not translated in the NIV, but translated, behold, Behold, in some of our English versions, such as the New American Standard Bible and the English Standard Version, they, they have the word, Behold, I will stand. Now that word, Behold, will have then given the clue, because the Hebrew word uh, translated Behold may mean something like, Look, or there, or now. Really being used as a marker to liven a narrative to an individual. With, of course, emphasis being the issue. Now, as a marker of attention, though, the uh, Hebrew word, it may be translated, behold. If you're trying to get somebody's attention, you can translate, behold. Now, in our verse, it is used to emphasize or to strengthen what the law promised in the sentence, I will stand there before you, by the rock at Horeb. Now, you, when you read those kind of things, the question you should ask yourself immediately is, God is everywhere. What, what does he mean by, I will stand there? He's everywhere, so what does he mean by that? So these are things, you know, when we read the scripture, we have to think, uh, meditate a little bit, uh, and see about it. Anyway, the, the word stand, is translated from a Hebrew word, amad, that may mean to stand up, as the opposite of to sit, though. Now, the Hebrew word may mean to, pre, uh, to present, to present, as it is used when Joseph brought uh, his father, Jacob, uh, Jacob, to introduce him to Pharaoh, according to Genesis chapter 47, verse 7. 
Genesis 47 verse 7, the word that uh, means stand, here you can, uh, we see it being used with the meaning of to present, to present. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him. Uh, that word presented is the Hebrew word amad. Presented him before Pharaoh after Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now the Hebrew woman means to stand still, to stand still. As it is used by Joshua to describe the moon, that the moon stopped moving when the Israelites conquered the Amorites. God has given them this amazing miracle where Joshua prayed and the sun didn't set down as he usually will until Israel finished the business of defeating the uh, Amorites according to Joshua chapter 10 verse 13. Joshua chapter 10 verse 13. It is so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies as it is written in the book of Joshua. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day so that Israel could continue defeating their enemies in the battlefield. Now the Hebrew word also may mean to endure, as it is used to describe the permanency of God's attribute of righteousness, really, in Psalm 111, verse 3. Psalm 111, verse 3. So he reads, Psalm 111 verse 3 reads, Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures. That's a Hebrew word. He has not translated, endures forever. Now when the word is used of God though, it may refer to manifestation of his presence in a unique way as it is used to describe the unique appearance of the Lord before the tent of meeting when he rebuked Aaron and Miriam for their lack of respect of Moses' authority according to Numbers chapter 12 verse 5. Numbers Numbers chapter 12, verse 5. It is, Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent 
and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both of them stepped forward, here God manifested himself in a special way in the tent of meeting, really, by getting hold of the siblings. And you know how siblings are in some situation uh, that they just, in some cases, may not have respect for one who is in authority because of one thing or the other. So that's what we have here, but God wasn't going to have any part of it. And of course, if you read the whole thing, and I've referred to it several times, he made an example of Miriam because she is the one that was the ringleader of the whole problem. She started it, being the oldest, of course, but she started the whole thing, and that's why she bore the brown too. But the issue really I'm interested in is when he said God stood at the entrance to the tent. He didn't stand like a human being. That was a special manifestation of himself. In a way that there was no, no doubt these two individuals, all three of them, they were hearing him speak. Anyway, in our passage of Exodus 17 verse 6, the Hebrew word, although literally means to stand in the sense of occupying a location, but because God is omnipresent, then the word has a sense of special presence of the Lord. That's why we do one of the reasons we do word study. It doesn't just mean he stood there. We have to show you that there are other places where he can stand, and yet it doesn't mean physically standing. And that's why we go through all this. So you can see, he would, at least with this case in Numbers, that he stood there, and they didn't see him physically. But he, he, he manifested his presence in that tent of meeting. And that's how it's to be understood in our passage. That he is going to manifest his presence in a very unique way. There's no, we know, mean, when we say God is omnipresent, it means there is no space on this planet that it doesn't occupy. So when he says, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to stand with you, it couldn't possibly mean that he's going to be in a location as he is occupying everywhere. So based on that, we can understand then that what the Lord promised Moses, which he did emphatically, is that his special presence, special presence, will be with him in the location described that we'll get to shortly. Now, the promise of the Lord to Moses as he goes to where the Lord instructed him to go, should remind all of us of the continued presence of the Lord with us as we proceed in our journey of marching through this planet to get to our final destination, that is heaven of course, to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, 
you, if we are really conscious of it, and most times we are not. See, it, here's the reason I say that. If we are conscious of God's presence every time, we watch what we say, because we know he's listening. What what we do? Because we know he's seeing us. He's right there. If we all have that awareness, many times we don't. Maybe some of us will go for almost one hour. <laughs> and some even the whole day don't even recognize his presence. But if we become really uh, conscious of his ever presence around us, then the way we function will be different. The way we act, the way we think will be different. But here though, what we're concerned with is that this promise to Moses of special appearance should cause you to know that as you make what I call march from this planet towards heaven, that he's always going to be with you. We should be confident of his presence as he assured Israel even in the promise of protection, in whenever we find ourselves in uh, difficulties or uh, fearful situations, to know that he is ever-present, that nothing will touch us, according, except, of course, as his plan calls for. Because if he surrounds you with his presence, what, what's going to touch you? You can be in the midst of the most awful thing going on, either way, whether it's of the, uh, what we call disaster, whatever way it is, if his presence is with you in this special way, you can know that nothing is going to happen to you. So that means that you can think more of the promise he made to Israel in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. Isaiah forty three verse two. This is a promise God made to Israel, and that promise you and I can claim on an individual basis. This is what it says When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. As a promise of this great presence of the Lord, that He surrounds all of us who are believers with this special presence, so that nothing will harm us except as at according to his plan. So the way I look at it is anytime anything gets to our body, it must be because his plan calls for that. Otherwise, you can face the most awful situations. Things that will kill people and you go through it with nothing happening to you because of his presence. That's what he assured Moses. And that's what he assured Israel. And that's what we're saying he assured all of us as believers. Well, it's not only though that you should hold on to this promise of his protection 
and presents to you as an individual, but we collectively also should recognize that the promise made to Moses as he carries out the instruction of the Lord to him is available to us as a church, the church of Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ promised the church his continued presence according to Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This is the promise of the Lord to the church. It reads, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Look at the next thing. He said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is an assurance of his presence over the church. So that no matter how many local churches fail, which we are I mean a whole lot, the Lord Jesus Christ promised to be with the church, to still carry out its function. Now, so as the Lord promised Moses then, that he will manifest his presence uniquely to him in the location uh, describing the passage that we're studying, we should then be confident. That wherever the place the Lord has his church, that his presence is assured. The same way, on a personal level, wherever you are, his presence is assured to you. Now the location though, of the special presence of the Lord to Moses is given in the phrase of Exodus 17 verse 6. We're starting because it says, by the rock at Horeb. Now rock is used here in a literal sense. In a literal sense. Now we, we make this point because the Hebrew word that means rock as a mass of uh, stone material is also used figuratively. It is used to describe the supreme God in Deuteronomy chapter 32 Verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, and hold on to that uh, chapter. I pick up another verse from it. Here it says, He that's God. Is the rock. Same Hebrew word, but now it is used figuratively. His works are perfect. And all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. 
upright, and just easy. Now the word is used to describe the lesser gods. Remember we studied the lesser gods in First Corinthians study. It is used to describe the lesser gods or the gods that the nations outside Israel worshipped. As that's the way it is used in the same Deuteronomy 32, look at verse 37. He reads, He will say, Now, where are their gods? Those are the lesser gods. They rock. They took refuge in. So the lesser gods here also describe as rock. Now, so the word is used to describe God though of Israel as their protector. As we read in Psalm chapter 18 verse 2. Psalm chapter 18 verse 2. It is Psalm 18 verse 2 reads, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge. He is my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Now, see this, the sentence, the Lord is my rock, is used as a metaphor for Israel's protection or Israel's defense. In the same way, you can apply it as a believer. He is your protection, your rock. Furthermore, the rock in the passage of Exodus chapter 17, verse 6, is later identified by the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul as Jesus Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. He reads, and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So it's important then to recognize that the word rock in Exodus chapter 17 verse 6 is used in a literal sense in our verse of study. Now, interestingly, literal rock is associated with special appearance of the Lord. Now, thus, when the Lord appeared to Moses, after his prayer to the Lord to show, uh, show him uh, his glory, Moses was instructed to stand on a rock where the Lord will make a special appearance to him, of himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 32, I mean, chapter 33, verses 21 and 22. 
एक्सरफ चैप्टर फाइव थ्री वर्सेज ट्वेंटी वन एंड ट्वेंटी टू इज देन द लॉ सेड दिस इज ए प्लेस नियर मी हुआ यू मे स्टैंड ऑन ए रॉक ए लिटरल रॉक वेन माई ग्लोरी पास इज बाय आई वु पुट यू इन ए क्लेफ इन द रॉक एंड कवर यू विद माई हैंड ऑनटिल आई हैव पास बाय नाउ दिस रॉक वॉज ऑल्सो एसोसिएटेड विद ए लॉस अपियारंस to commission Gideon to be his agent of deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Midianites according to Judges chapter 6 verses 20 and 21 Judges chapter 6 verses 20 and 21 Judges chapter 6 reads The angel of the of God verse 20 reads The angel of God said to him Take the meat and the unleavened bread place them on this rock and pour out the broth and Gideon did so with the tip of the staff that was in his hand the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread fire uh, flew from the slept from the rock consuming the meat and the bread and the angel of the lord disappeared hence then, there is a sense that in some situations of the appearance of the lord in connection uh, with miracle or deliverance that rock was somehow involved so anyway the rock involved in this promise of the lord to make his uh, presence known to moses in a very unique way involve a literal rock but it is not any rock though in the desert but one that is specifically at the place described as horeb that's why we have the phrase in verse 6 of exodus 17 that was starting with at horeb now horeb is the general name though for the whole mountain range of which sinai was one of the summits so that mount horeb is another name for mount sinai now we know this because god appeared to israel in mount sinai according to exodus chapter 19 verse 18 exodus Exodus chapter 19 verse 18 It reads Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace The whole mountain trembled violently Now but in Moses final farewell farewell address to Israel now this appearance of God in Mount Sinai was 
described as having taken place at Horeb. So we read from Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 15 reads You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourself very carefully. Now so, hence we can see that uh, Horeb is an alternative name for Mount Sinai. Because that's where God appeared to uh, Israel in a very unique way. He manifested himself uh, by the grace of God. When we get there, we'll get into it in detail in the 19th chapter. So, Horeb, then, uh, or Horeb is another name for uh, Mount Sinai. Sometimes it's also called a mountain of, of God. Now, it is the same place that uh, Elijah ran to when trying to escape from the hands of Jezebel who was determined to uh, kill him and so we read of him going there in 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 8 1 Kings First Kings chapter 19 verse 8. He reads, so he got up, that's Elijah, prophet Elijah. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Again, the phrase the mountain of God means it is either a dedicated mountain to God or the place uh, he dwells in a special way since all mountains belong to him. So anyway, Horeb, as we have said then, was a special place that God appeared to his covenant people where they also rebelled against him through their idolatry. It's the same place where they got into this fiasco of the uh, golden calf uh, we'll get to it at the right time in our study. So in any event, it was to this location then that the Lord referred to a, a specific rock that he promised Moses of his special presence and so of special aid to him so he could carry out the specific instruction the Lord gave him. So again, that is a reminder of his presence with you as a believer. That unique presence, God is everywhere, no doubt, but around you, he has that special presence. And so, as long as you recognize that reality, then you don't have to fear of anything when you realize that he surrounds you with his presence. Anyway, the specific instruction of the Lord, though, that he gave to uh, Moses, concerning the rock located at Horeb, is given in 
Exodus 17 verse 6 where we are studying it. It reads, strike the rock. Strike the rock. Well, we are out of time. We will pick it up next week. But meanwhile, I want you to go home remembering what I said about learn to claim the Lord's promises. Provided you fulfill the implied conditions of the promise and stand by them until you get results from the Lord. Learn to claim a promise and then move. Don't, don't, you know, don't waver in your faith. Trust that he is going to do what he said. And you watch carefully and he will do so. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will continue to challenge us so that we continue to be mindful of your ever special presence to us. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.